It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Dana Wade Influence over the Nevada State Athletic Commission, NJB3, Nick John Brache the third. What is up, fella? Hey, hey. So we're coming off of UFC 282, Nick, and let's not kid ourselves. Dana White was watching this live, and he saw all these finishes, and he's like, this is incredible. This is going to be an insane night. There's no, there's no way that the main event between two guys who've had multiple boring fights before is going to be kind of boring. There's no way that Patty Pimblett is going to lose to Jared Gordon. And then what happens? Patty Pimblett, on his way to losing to Jared Gordon, what does Dana do? He places a text to the chairman of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. He says, listen, uh, can, you, can you do me a favor here? And then that fight is over. Patty Pimblett gets a gift of a decision. And then they go to the main event, Nick. And what happens? Not the most entertaining fight. Not a bad fight. It's a competitive fight. It's compelling, especially if you're, if you're kind of intrigued by these two athletes. And Dana White decides at some point, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and uh, text the chairman again. Can you pull me just one more favor for tonight? And what happens? It's a draw. No guy gets the title. You give me a boring main event on a pay-per-view. None of you get the title, Nikolai. That's what Dana did, and uh, he got away with it. He pulled it off. Just ask uh, Kadyrov. <laughs> Holy cow. You got something special in your Wheaties this morning, Stan. Ugly week for the UFC. You got all this Kadyrov stuff. You got um, Pimblet and Dana going after Ariel Hawani, and then you end up with you know a, pay- a pay-per-view title fight that end- ends yeah, in a it's draw. Yeah, it's, I mean, Pimblet's level of sucking up is comparable at this point to Sean O'Malley's. Yeah, except, I, I mean, who knows? I just, I think O'Malley, listen, O'Malley proved me wrong. Maybe Pimblet will do the same, but I, I think Sean O'Malley is a better fighter than Patty Pimblet. Oh, de- definitely, definitely. Sean O'Malley is a better fighter. Patty Pimblet is a more charismatic guy. Is it more what? Patty Pimblet is the most more charismatic guy. He's got the more star potential, whereas Sean O'Malley is actually the better fighter. I think O'Malley's got a, has equal star potential. It may not be as global. Listen, Pimblet. You know, they've uh, they've had trouble finding the next Michael Bisbing. Um, Dar- you know, Darren Till's career has been very, very uninspired since you know he got that that kind of gift over Wonder Boy, and like what's his what's his other claim to fame? Like beating up Cowboy Cer- like an undersized Cowboy Cerrone. Like Till has not been British star power. Molly McCann is. She's fun again, charismatic, but she's she's like Patty, like I, up against the upper echelons of the division. It's shit's going to be ugly. We just saw that with her, Pimblet against Jared Gordon, who is not the upper echelons of the division. He's outside of the top uh, fifteen. Um, you know, took him took him to school, like lit him up uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, he really did, man. And and you know, again, like. The, the pros saw this coming because Patty Pimblett is not a high-level fighter. My only concern about that situation, and, and again, there's a reason I picked Gordon right in our competition. My concern about that situation was that uh, Patty Pimblett is an opportunistic finisher. He'll find that moment after having a rough time, and we've seen Gordon give up that moment after winning. And so, like, there's that dynamic, which on paper favored Pimblett, but Pimblett hadn't finished guys on this level. He's never really faced a guy on this level, and the only kind of mid-level competition, Nadner Armani and the such that he's faced in Cage Warriors, 
he lost to, right? Like we've seen this before. Anybody that's going to push him back, that's going to be aggressive, who is capable of continuing to do that for at least 15 minutes, is going to do well against Patty Pimlet. But again, got to have a decent chin because the guy has some pop, even though he's not at all technical or nor does he have any defense standing. Um, and and you got to have you know uh, the, the ability to pressure forward, whether it be with wrestling or with striking. Jared Gordon did that, man. He he had all the right attributes to give. Patty Pimblett trouble, except for that, again, except for the fact that he's finishable in an instant. And, man, he, like, he clearly, I thought it was very clear that he deserved the first two rounds. He landed every left hook that he threw, Nick, like every single one. He just continually put the pressure and landed big shots on Pimblett. And it's weird, in between rounds two and three, he was told by his corner that that first round was close. That first round was the least close round, in my opinion, of this fight. I thought that was the clearest round for Gordon, but they thought that first round could have gone either way so they told him he needs this round and what Gordon decided to do was just kind of hold him up against the fence and and you know barely I think each guy was I think there's a combined 10 strikes landed in that third round because Gordon just kind of chose to hold him up against that fence um you could argue that Pimblet landed a couple literally two more strikes maybe six to four something like that and so maybe he maybe he gets the edge in the third round but that was the only round that was actually close and Gordon clearly had the control, right? The the damage was pretty comparable, almost no damage at all. The control was uh, in favor of Gordon. Weird situation, man. Um, again, like, like there is something to having the star power. There's something to the judges knowing your name and knowing that you're again a star. There's something to the fact that the crowd reacts to every strike that Patty Pimblett throws, whether he lands it or not. He's not accurate. He doesn't have any defense. He literally looks like he's hitting the bag when he's throwing at opponents, where like there's no semblance of head movement or defense or bringing his hands back to his head. It's just pure offense, and he's explosive and fast, but he doesn't have the technique or the craft. And honestly, given all the extracurricular activities that he's involved in outside of fighting uh, in his regular life, I can't imagine that he's going to get that much better. Given the fact that he insists on trading in Liverpool with his team, again, I don't see the prospects of him getting that much better. The guy's like 19, 20 fights into his MMA career, right? So I, I think as far as like potential, physical potential, Paddy Pimblett is not like... He's, he's realized a good portion of his. Now he's 27. If he changes things up, can he uh, get better? Yes. But I think the UFC is going to see this as a sign. They're going to give him softer balls from now on. We're going to go back to the Jordan Levitts, Rodrigo Vargas's, and Luigi Vendramini's uh, of the UFC. Guys with basically, you know, either either even records or losing records in the promotion. Yeah, I think, uh, you know what, it would be, I think it would be kind of amusing. Um, I would give him... Oh wait, he's a Patty's at Patty's at lightweight, right? Yep. Yeah, damn it! I wanted him to rematch, uh, potentially rematch Julieta Rosa, um, who's fighting uh, Alex Caceres, because Rosa beat up Pimblet but lost the decision, I believe, um, in a different. Uh, Patty has nothing to gain. He won't take that fight. I think he's going to be very choosy. Well, also he's not a different weight class. Those guys are at featherweight. Um, well, but but for sure, I mean, Patty used to fight at featherweight, but for sure, Erosa would come up and wait to to get that opportunity to beat yeah. Patty again, right? It would be on paper a very winnable matchup for him, despite the weight difference. But I don't think that Patty Pimlet's taking that kind of matchup, man. I, I think he's smarter than that, honestly. If we're looking at like the the bottom of the top fifteen, top top twenty, we're looking at Diego Ferreira, Bobby Green, right? Guram Kutateladze. I think. Yeah, I think I any think of those guys, guys can beat him, man. Mark Madsen would be maybe like a like an even fight on paper, but even him, I'd, he's pressuring and and he wrestles really well. 
Um, I guess he could potentially get submitted, but he, if he didn't get, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a world of difference between Grant Dawson, which, as we saw in this last matchup, and uh, and Patty Pimlet. They're just leagues apart, and Grant Dawson's the kind of guy that could beat a Mark Matson or a Jared Gordon. Uh, I think Grant Dawson would murder Patty. I Pimlet. think so, and there's no way that Patty Pimlet would take that fight. But again, looking at the rankings, man, who's he going to fight? Vince Pichel? Joe Selecki's probably going to beat him. Jim Miller's probably going to like that's probably the matchup to put him in, right? Jim Miller, who like on paper, Patty Pimblett might be able to get an old Jim Miller out of there, take over in the second and third rounds. But Jakar Close, like if you look at the UFC rankings, like who can he actually beat? Claudio Puelas, after what we just saw, and the fact that Puelas is mostly a grappler, that might be the Gre- that might Gregor be the matchup Gillespie. to make, man. Like. If that guy fights. I mean, dude, would he not mop he, up Patty? <coughs> he probably he would. Just, would. I, think I mean, he's getting older him. and he's so inactive. But, but yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I'm looking at these rankings, dude. Like, like I, I don't see a whole lot of names that are actually in the top 25 that Patty Pimblett, in my eyes at least, would be a favorite against after what we've seen, not only in this matchup, but also like his first three UFC fights. These are, you know, journeymen at the very best, and he barely got through them. Right, he he was having a lot of trouble with every one of those guys uh, before before that that fight went against him. Um, Jordan Levitt was able to get consistent takedowns and won the first round. Rodrigo Vargas was able to get some strikes as he put him on the back foot. Luigi Vendramini was having success against him uh, until Patty Pimblett just exploded with a sixteen punch volley. Um, like these are not high level fighters who are having success against Patty Pimblett. He is not that good, dude. Was submitted by Stevie Ray via hill hook in two thousand nineteen in a grappling competition, right? Uh, Soren Bach beat him in 2018. Nadine Armani beat him in 2017. If you if you look at his recent record and you don't count this as a win, I mean it's it's not nearly as impressive. He's got he's got three law. What is it? Five wins and three losses. Or something no, like that, if we kind of count it that way, maybe it six ain't Connor's three. rise. And I doubt it. I yep. doubted Connor plenty, but definitely not. Connor would show up and just you know I would be hating him and he would melt you know melt Diego Brandau. Beat like beat Max Holloway, melt Dustin Poirier, melt Dennis Seaver, have real adversity against Chad Mendes until Mendes gassed, and maybe Mendes would have won that fight. I don't know, but the fact is, Connor Connor was in there. He was not. I mean, you could argue at the time some of these were semi favorable matches, but these guys are all bonafide. I mean, on the way up, Holloway, Poirier, and Mendes, like all before his title fight. I, you know, as much as I dislike Conor McGregor, that's he earned he earned his shot at Aldo. Like, and he and he was finishing these dudes. He finished everyone on the way up except for Max. And he didn't finish. He, I mean, Matt, and I mean, I don't know if Max was finishable, but Conor also, if I remember correctly, tore his ACL in that fight. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and again, Connor just like made it work against uh, Max Holloway, right? He did really well against Max Holloway, who, as it turns out, is an incredibly talented fighter um, on his way up. And obviously, the UFC didn't know that when they matched him up, right? They they figured that Connor would have success there. But that's the thing is that Patty Pimblett is not passing these tests um, in the same way. He is having trouble against low level UFC competition, and he, I mean. Uh, m- almost everybody believes he lost to Jared Gordon and should not have gotten that decision this past night. So, Patty Pimblett, not an elite fighter, but he's going to get a lot of attention. The Ariel Hawani thing, it was just a bad week for him, right? He he called that Ariel Hawani out while on a podcast with frickin' Dana White. He tells Dana White, of all people on this planet, Nick, Ariel Hawani takes advantage of fighters, makes money off of them. And Dana White's like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, he's a dirtbag. Dana White thinks that Ariel is a dirtbag for taking advantage of fighters. It's incredible. Now, am I a big fan of Ariel? No. Like, he's he's a character onto his own, right? And, and, and he has weird quirks. But 
he had some receipts, man. He played that audio of Patty basically asking for Ariel to interview him. And then Patty kind of pushed him over to talk to his manager, I think with the idea that maybe maybe Ariel will pay us to get interviewed as well. And then it became this whole, this whole skerfuffle with, uh, with Ariel Hawani looking better for it. Patty Pimblett making a joke about it after his fight shows you how much on his mind that was and how he felt like he had to do damage control, right? Uh, making light of, a, of an awkward situation was his plan. Didn't come off too well because he was, you know, he was just awarded uh, a gift of a decision. But it, it is just a weird, weird week for Patty Pimblett. And again, we're seeing that skill-wise, he hasn't developed a whole lot. And I can't imagine he's dedicating enough time to actually develop and actually become a much better fighter. But Nick... Uh, we're bearing the lead. The main event, Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev. I thought I broke down this fight as well as as well as could be. Right, I, I talked about every element about Yan's ability to defend kicks, uh, about the fact that Yan has to watch out for what blitzes he throws forward because Magomed is going to counter with that right hook, and he caught him early with that right hook, and I was like, oh man, Yan, you weren't ready for this. Come on, and then he fixed it. He he started incorporating those leg kicks, man, and they damaged Ankalaev badly. I also talked about how Ankalaev is good from top position, not good enough to finish Yan, but but potentially good enough to just, like, hold that top position and win rounds. I just wasn't sure that he could take Yan down, and he could, man. After some trouble in the first couple of rounds taking him down, he ended up taking him down late in that third round. He ended up taking him down early in the fourth, early in the fifth, clearly won the fourth and fifth rounds. The third round uh, is somewhat debatable because Magomed Ankalaev got a late takedown against Blahovich, but Blahovich did some serious damage early in the round uh, with Magomed Ankalaev showing that his legs are hurt, right? So the damage clearly favors Yan in that third round, the third round is Yans. The second round was clearly Yans because he also hurt Magomed Ankalaev to the legs, and Magomed showed it, physically actually showed that he was hurt. Um, the first round is close. So as far as the decision, to me, a draw or a decision toward Magomed Ankalaev is fair because that third round could have easily gone either way. But let's say the third round is, is uh, uh, let's say it goes to Yan Blahovich. That, that means Yan won the first three rounds. Magomed Ankalaev won the last two rounds. The fourth round, it was very one-sided. Not much damage, but Magomed did enough maybe to get a 10-8 there, right? So that basically makes it a draw. Uh, The fifth round is what I meant. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. Yes. So that that amounts to a draw. If you give Magomed Ankalaev the first competitive round, that means that Magomed Ankalaev wins three rounds to Blahovic's second and third round. So either an Ankalaev win or a Jan Blahovic or a draw is fair. And despite the fact that I think Dana called the favor in and, and made sure that this ended up being a draw, I do actually think so. Not really, I guess. But man, did that work out exactly how Dana would have wanted, right? He wanted Patty Pimblett to win, despite the fact that he lost. And he wanted neither of these guys to be rewarded with a title after what he deems to be a boring fight. Instead, he decided to punish them both and give the title fight to Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill. Uh, Jamal Hill, yeah. Which I'm, you know, I'm intrigued by the matchup, but it is kind of a weird dynamic here. Um, I think they should put these guys back together for maybe a March main event somewhere, Poland or something. Uh, I think would make anywhere in Europe. I think would make sense for these two guys. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia or what have you wouldn't make sense for a main event like this. And, and these guys can kind of settle it. I tend to think Magomed, knowing that he can take him down at will, is going to go for that earlier. Jan Blahovich has a huge hole in his game, and he still has it at age what is he, 38, 39 now. I don't expect that he's going to fix this, man. It's just, it's disappointing that he just cannot cannot get off his back he cannot get a sweep he cannot actually effectively go for a submission or an upkick he just he's just on his back and that's the rest of the round that's just how it works he does not get up it's 2022 in mixed in elite mixed martial arts only at light heavyweight can a guy have those deficiencies and still be among the top it's disappointing because so, i really like the guy just really really quick before we get into this card 
Um, it's funny because Stan's just really broke down the top two fights, which were among the least eventful aside from the outcomes. But we had uh, Alex Morano was on his way to a like short notice uh, success story, just lighting up Santiago Ponzinibbio. But Ponzinibbio is a tough dude. We've seen this before. He hulks up. He's he's hulked up in the third round. He's a guy whose body has broken down a bit, but he has not quit on himself. And he went Mortal Kombat on Alex Morano um, to close out the fight. But Morano still gained, I think, still gained stock um, in that loss. You had uh, Drikus Duplessis absolutely dominate Darren Till in the first round. Second round, Till came back. It looked like it was going his way. That Duplessis was perhaps uh, gassed out. And then Till finds a way to lose in the third round. One of two face crank submissions on a card. Don't know that we've ever had two face cranks on a card before. We had, thank God, Ilya Teporia, and I don't know what his political beliefs are, um, but I know what Bryce Mitchell's are, and like Ilya Teporia completely big-brothered Bryce Mitchell, who's now complaining that he had the flu, but give me Bryce Mitchell on Super Soldier Serum, serum and I think that Teporia still big-brothers the shit out of him, um, did whatever he, did whatever he wanted man, yeah. in there. Um, we have Rel Rosas Jr. who wants to buy a minivan for his mom, took the night off from studying for his social <laughs> studies exam, um, and, and face cranked the shit out of Jay Perrin, winning me more points. Also, Jorzinio Rosenstrike decided enough of being called a boring fighter, enough of waiting, knew there was no threat from Chris Dawkins, and just blasted him out of the gate. That was my first pick last week, another successful one. Where I was wrong was that Edmund Shabazian was exa- uh, was given exactly the winnable fight that he needed against Dalsha Lungiambula. Uh, he did uh, he did all right. You know, I, I don't I'm not I don't know that the, the Vegas new anti Glendale Shabazian is going to be legit, but we'll see. I had taken a, a gamble on getting the extra points for the underdog. Uh, Chris Curtis was slow, but he kept his he did a really good job. Uh, he was he was slow to action. He wasn't getting the counters that he wanted at first, but he, he kept his hands up, um, you know, ate, ate some shots, defended, and waited for that opening. And it was it was beautiful. He caught a Buckley kick and held his, uh, held his leg with one hand while absolutely blasting an off-balance Buckley with the other hand. Buckley couldn't roll with it. He couldn't do anything. Uh, you take away a guy's balance and you punch him as hard as you can in the face. It's going to have an effect. Buckley went down, finished it up with ground and pound. Um, you know, I don't know how. I, Curtis's ceiling, I think, is still kind of low, um, but did what I thought he would do here. Billy Quarantillo, um, Alex Hernandez at 145 for the first time came out like a bat out of hell. Um, looked amazing in that first round, but. The weight cut, the weight change, uh, the weight class may be different, but the result was still the same. Hernandez uh, was, you know, a fraction of himself in the second round um, after expending all that energy in the first. And Quarantillo, who looks weirdly like Eddie Van Halen to me, completely uh, get, like just went, you know, cardio machine and and pieced up Hernandez till he got the TKO standing. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Corntillo, you know, he's known as uh, for getting through the fire and then just finishing things, or at least putting the pressure on. And Alex Hernandez, after the first round, is just a fraction of himself, as always. TJ Brown, man, just big brother and Eric Silva. Well done by TJ Brown getting that arm triangle choke. A guy that trains with Bryce Mitchell, 
that level of grappling is good enough for Eric Silva. It's not good enough for Ilya Tapori. He's a scary monster. And then Carmen Simon, you know, I, I picked Stephen Caslow with the idea that he's worth three points because I thought it would be competitive. It was very competitive. And then it just seemed like the short notice nature of the situation for Kozlow ended up costing him. He ended up getting overwhelmed in the uh, in the third round after doing pretty well in those first two rounds, getting top position, and and uh, and it was again it was a competitive scrap. Uh, just quickly want to mention that I talked about how Darren Till has been broken before. He's going to be broken again. That's what happened, man. Darren Till wanted out. Drekas Duplessis knew he wanted out, and he gave him the way out. Ilya Tepori is just a scary monster. He's like title shot worthy, but I hope he gets two two or three more fights before he's there because. This division is uh, is stacked enough for him to kind of work his yeah. way in and get his experience. Just um, to be clear, Darren Till has one split decision victory in the last uh, nearly five years, and that was over Kelvin Gastelum post. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, post Izzy. Yeah, I mean, you know, D- Darren Till again, like this whole this idea that he. Like, he was talking about it after his last loss, how he's still going to go for the time. He has no shot. He's never going to be champion unless the division suddenly... Co- like, everybody goes on strike and there's only, like, a couple of entry-level LFA fighters that are coming into the UFC. That's a situation in which Darren Till can become champion. Otherwise, there's, like, the, the guy. The guy's just not championship material. It's that simple. He, you know, he maybe had that potential, but the sport ruined him, man. You take all that damage by the time you're 25, you get beat up and, and your your confidence gets depleted to the extent that it does. He's a guy that relies on his confidence for mental uh, strength, right? And once he doesn't have it, man, he falls apart and, and that's what we saw here. Nick, that will do it for UFC 282. Now we're going to dive into this upcoming card. UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus... Was he fighting Strickland, Nikolai? It's an intriguing matchup. I know they kind of re- reset this one. Um, it, it was... It was uh, it was postponed because I think Strickland had an injury, but they ended up making it a five-rounder, and, and I'm intrigued by it. I think this will be a lot of fun. Actually, this card, I know it's the last card of the year. It's got some exciting fights on paper. It's got some decent names. These are not like uh, mainstream-level uh, names, right? MMA fans know these guys. MMA fans know this is going to be like a good night of fights, and, and I'm intrigued by it. I'm looking forward to it. I have the first pick this week, Nikolai, but I'm quickly going to go through our rules. We each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. A correct pick is worth one point. Uh, one point. If you pick a fighter that is a plus 150 underdog or above, you get two points uh, if that fighter comes through for you. You pick a fighter that's plus 250 or above, and that fighter wins. You net three points for that one. Nikolai, you still got some catching up to do, but you're bringing it. We're uh, 14 and a half points apart now. Actually, 15 and a half points apart. Uh, I think I had like a 21, 22 point lead at one point. So you're slowly closing that gap, Nick. The I've won Nick- four, four events in a row. I just want to be clear, I've won four events in a row. Well well, well done, young man. Although, let, let's not get ourselves. The Patty Pimblet gift was a gift to you. That would have been two points in my favor. We, we, you and I both know that, right? Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. Dana White, he, he, pulled, one, he pulled one over on me uh, and on Jared Gordon. It affected me more, I think, than Jared Gordon and, and my podcasting career. Nick, my first pick this week is going to be in the matchup between Mihal Olejelenczyk and Cody Brundage. I think that Cody Brundage is a decent entry-level UFC fighter. He's got decent wrestling. He can be opportunistic with the submissions. He can hit pretty hard. Like, he's got decent hands, again, against entry-level UFC competition. Mikhail Olejanchuk, he's got the experience. He's now at middleweight where he should be. I still have concerns about his conditioning if he doesn't get Cody Brundage out of there in the first few minutes. But he's so extremely aggressive. He has serious power and pressure. He's got insane speed. Um, he added a 205, and he's still fast for middleweight. I think that Mihal Olejanicek should be able to make quick work of Cody Brundage, but Cody Brundage has got potential, and I think like 
there's a chance he could tough his way through to a decision loss here and maybe look good at moments and maybe even maybe even edge out a, a, a close competitive fight. Um, the guy's got potential. It's a shame that he's taking this fight this early in his UFC career. I think that's a pretty good first pick. I'm going to go with an underdog pick for extra points because that's how I'm playing these days. That's how you roll. I, I actually expect um, the young and, to be honest, pretty adorable um, Corey McKenna. Um, to, I, I don't understand why she's such a such an underdog uh, to the former Shan buys Shan of uh, Blitzmas. Um, if she's partying with Roland Deleeds, I'm not sure that she's exactly well, R- getting R- his Roman, skills. Roland Deleeds ain't fighting like a partier. I'm just saying that he is killing yeah. it. But yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That he, I'm so, I don't know that his strength is transferable. <laughs> um, so I like I, I liked McKenna in her. Uh, her earlier fights, so I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go with the Welsh fighter here. Yeah, I mean M- McKenna really is a skilled fighter. Trains at team, team Alpha Male. She's got pretty solid striking, good fundamentals. She's small though for the division, like short. Like he's more of a short, stout fighter. She um, she gets she has pretty good takedowns. Does pretty well from top position as well. And Cheyenne v- Velismas is more of a wrestler, uh, more of a kickboxer than anything else. She's got she's got aggression. She's got kickboxing craft. She's got serious toughness too. She's the kind of girl that if you hit her hard, she's gonna want to come back at you two times as hard. And so um, I think you're taking the right underdog pick here, in that Cormie kind of has some value on her. But I did end up edging very slightly toward Velismas in this matchup since I think that. Just her aggression, and and she should be able to avoid most of the takedowns. I think Cora McKenna being a little bit undersized uh, is going to be is going to be a little bit of a factor here. And she lost to a similar fighter in Reed recently. McKenna did. Um, that, that's why I don't absolutely love her chances here. But again, at these odds, I think you're making the right call. I disagree officially as my pick, but um, but but I hear where you're coming from. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jake Matthews and Matthew Semmelsberger. Um, I, I know you've been a believer in Semmelsberger, and I'm a believer in Semmelsberger when he's fighting entry-level UFC competition. I don't think this is that kind of matchup at all. We've seen Jake Matthews and the amount of craft and the amount of experience and the amount of skills that he's put together over the course of his... Let me see here. He's been in the UFC since 2014, Nick. Eight-year UFC career. Uh, we're, we're approaching nine years. We're getting very close in a few months here, right? So the guy lost to Olivier Ben mercier on The Ultimate Fighter, and then came into the UFC and had some success. He had a couple of stumbles here and there. Um, and losing to Sean Brady back in 21 isn't an awesome luck, to be fair, but Andre Fialho and Matt, Matt Semmelsberger are closer uh, to one another than either of them are to Sean Brady. And he just ran through Andre Fialho, who I think is like is like bottom of the rung UFC fighter. I know he's, he's one of your guys. Uh, but I, I think that he's got enough craft. He's got enough skill. He should be able to get takedowns if he can't just purely do well standing. But I think he's going to do well standing. Matt uh, Semmelsberger's got the kind of power and pop to knock out, uh, again, a lower-level UFC fighter. I think he's got a lot of elements of his game to piece together. I think his takedown defense isn't great and his ability to get up isn't great. I think uh, Jake Matthews has all of the skills to win this fight unless he is just purely foolish and takes all kinds of chances standing up. Um, in, in which case, he still might win. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on the pick. Um, I also like Matthews. Um, I'm going to go with another underdog pick. This one's a little bit crazier. But I'm going to take a David Dvorak. Um, who's at plus 200. I think there's a lot of value there um, over Manel Kopp. Um, cop's good, uh, but Dvorak, Dvorak's one of those guys who fights. Um, oh, he, he, it's almost like he's just he's smart and crafty. It makes up for 
um, any, I think, size or athletic um, deficiencies. Um, and he's, you know, it reminds me a little, I mean, his fighting style is different, but he's sort of unassuming the way that, um, who was the, the Russian flyweight that just like left the UFC? Who was ranked very, very highly and looked super wimpy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a guy that you don't be, that you don't like bet on or expect. I mean, he looks he looks much more athletic than him. But um, I think that I, this is one of those fights where I could see over three rounds, Dvorak being elusive enough, setting traps, being just kind of fighting smart, and um, weather you know weathering storms to score enough points. And you know, it's the kind of fight where I could see him winning the third round convincingly because he is he is drained and confounded, cop. And there being, uh, like, it's a lose the first, you know, seconds too close to call, win the third. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna bet on, on the underdog here. Hey, all. Sorry to interrupt the episode. Basically, from this point on in the track, my audio, for some reason, is just really off. It's got some weird kind of crackling noise. I've tried to reduce it as much as I could. Hope you all bear with me. If not, I understand, of course. Thanks for the listen. Yeah, I think Manel Kopp is, has the edge in this one. I think I think you're you're taking you're taking a risk that's worth taking on David Varr because he's a really skilled, really experienced guy. I just feel like Manel Kopp is faster, he's more explosive. Um, he's going to be able to hurt David Vorak. He's going to be able to avoid takedowns from David Vorak. I don't know that David Vorak's craft is going to play as much of a factor here as it did in Nick, previous matchups. Manel Kopp is very close in level to Mateus Nikolaou, who David Vorak just kind of got dominated by. And, and Manel Kopp and, and Nikolaou had a very close fight recently. I think uh, Manel Kopp should have the edge here, but I, I see where you're coming from and taking this pick. So far, I've disagreed with both of your first two picks, but again, you're, you're trying to gain on points, and I respect that. I'm going to take Armand Saryukian to beat Demir Ismagulov. Demir Ismagulov has an excellent jab. He's really crafty. We saw him in his last fight against Kutataladze, I believe his name is, and dude, he did not deserve to win that decision, and Armand Saryukian should have the ability to get occasional takedowns here, he's explosive with the striking, his hands are improving, but more importantly, his kicks have always been a big issue, and I can see him keeping it at a kicking range, I could see him landing some bigger strikes than Demir, who's gonna mostly jab, and I could see him getting takedowns, man, this guy's like, not far in level from the likes of Islam Mahashev, and he's fighting Demir Smogulov, who is not as durable as some of those elite lightweights. Uh, I, I think Armas Aryukian is going to uh, is going to walk away with the win here. I think at minus 180, um, this is this is worth this is worth uh, uh, including him in a parlay, putting a straight bet on him. He is likely to win a decision in this one. I think. Uh, with you on that, I'm going to go. Um, with, man, a lot of flyweights on this card. Um, I'm I'm going to go with Amir Albazi. Um, the Iraqi fighter out of Extreme Couture uh, to defeat Alexander Acosta, who's take getting, I think, a really... I mean, he has a contender series fight, but I think this is a tough draw uh, for him coming, you know, coming out of uh, his his fight two months ago with a, with a, with Lux Fight, a smaller promotion. Yeah, I, I actually think this is a three-point opportunity, and I was going to make it soon um, because... Alessandro Acosta took this on a month notice, this fight, because so, I forget who pulled out against Amir Albazi. The thing is, with Costa is when he took this fight, he was like three days removed from a quick knockout. And I think it was a five-round training camp. So the guy should be in excellent shape. He is not super dissimilar to Taporia. He's like a lighter Taporia. Explosive, heavy, solid boxing. Um, it has Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu too, right? Like we, we don't see him use it as much. 
The only issue with him is that he's not as aggressive as Taporian, so he can tend to give up that first round before he kind of starts to pile on and take over. He's used to a five-round pace, which might be a concern here, whereas Amir, used to a three-round pace, is probably going to put it on him right away. Um, I, I just think Alexandro, uh, Alessandro Costa... All else being the same, I'm picking officially Amir Albazi, but for our competition, I would have picked Alexandra Costa because I think plus 350, is there's real value on him because the guy is solid. He's got insane power, like touch-you-once kind of power, and he's got the skills to apply it. So uh, as much as I don't blame you for making this pick, I think this was a three-point opportunity for you. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... I guess I'll, I'll dive into Julian Marquez and Darren Wynn. I think that uh, Darren Wynn is a short, stubby guy. He's got good wrestling. He's got a lot of heart. He's tough as it can be. But I think Julian Marquez has what it takes to beat him. Again, MMA math, I know it doesn't usually work, but he just got mopped up by Phil Hawes. If Julian Marquez yes. mopped up Phil Hawes, granted several years ago, I know it's MMA math. I just think Julian Marquez being the bigger guy, being an opportunistic finisher, I could see him even losing the first few moments of this fight and then taking over. Marquez is also used to fighting much bigger men, and, and Darren Wynn also used to fighting bigger men. You know, he, he's going to have a hard time, I think, at this level. It might be closer than the I'll suggest. It might be an opportunity uh, in case um, Darren Wynn can get takedowns, which Julian Marquez doesn't have the best takedown defense, but I'm going to go with Marquez in this one. What's your next pick? Listen, if there's one thing you know about me, I always pick Nermies. I'm going to go with Said Nurmagomedov over Said Said Yokub Kakramanov. You do often pick Nermies. Um, and I win. They, they, they always win. They, they tend to. Said lost his UFC debut to, um, to Hani Barcelos. I think that Said Yokub Kakramanov... I think he's so fucking skilled. His wrestling is out of this world. His conditioning is phenomenal. His striking is really good. His Brazilian jiu-jitsu is pretty solid. I actually think he has what it takes. Said Nurmagomedov, I know he has a Nurmagomedov name, but he's not, the, he's not a guy that trains with that team. Um, he trains with, you know, the, the Kadyrov side of, 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 of the team. He's supported uh, like by Kadyrov, much like Uncle Live uh, from last week's men event. Um, I, 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 say, I favor Said Yakub. I think his last performance against Ronnie Lawrence was sensational to get take t- 10 takedowns against the guy who's known for getting like six to 10 takedowns per fight to do it at every, like, like basically dominated mop the floor with him. The way that he did that was incredibly impressive. So I'm going to, I'm going to favor, um, I'm going to favor my boy, Saeed Yokub Kakramanov. By the way, both guys are Saeed with a, with an OV last name. Um, you know, one's from Uzbekistan and Saeed Yokub and one is from Dagestan and Saeed Nurmagomedov. We're about to see which region is dominant, Nick. We're about to see it. And I like that we disagree on this one. Um, Nikolai, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Alex Caceres and Julian Arosa. Here's the thing. I think that Julian Arosa has been looking so fucking good lately. The, the way that he's putting it on, guys, the, the level of competition that he's beating, that, that he's faced is sensational, man. Charles Jordan is a great win. He finished him. Steven Peterson, not a bad win, I guess. He's a, he's a journeyman at best. Hakeem Duwadu, man. He dominated Hakeem Duwadu. Hurt him multiple times throughout that fight. That man, I mean, at this point, Julian Arosa's really put together the experience and, and kind of married it with his skills. And he's a dangerous guy. He beat Nate Landwehr. He beat Sean Woodson. These are, like, really, like, impressive fucking wins, man. Um, so, look, do I think that Julian Arosa should probably win this fight? Yes. Do I think, like, Alex Caceres, with his craft, with his height, uh, with his skill on the ground and standing up, do I think that um, he is... He's a live dog here, a plus 150. Yeah, so I'm, I think I'm going to take I'm going to take Alex Caceres for two points. All else being the same, I would have taken uh, Julian Arosa had the odds been closer. But because of this two point opportunity, because I think this should be a competitive back and forth fight on paper, I'm going to take Alex Caceres for two. Wow. Points.
You surprised that I took Caceres? Are you are you disagreeing? I am. Uh, yep. yep. I am disagreeing. I think it's close, but I didn't think you go that way. I'm gonna pick the main event right now. Um, I think that it's a little too early. I'm no fan of Sean Strickland. I'm not a huge Cannoneer fan, but as a as a human being, he sure is a lot more likable. Um, he's got a, a much cooler story. I'm going, and Strickland did just get knocked out, like not that long ago. Like when I know that Pehe has fought twice, or fought again since then. But um, Strickland, yeah, Strickland got knocked out in July. Um, I just think, <coughs> I think his game isn't going to work on Cannoneer, who should be able to just. I think muscle and and slam him down. And Strickland does not like Cannonier does have a uh, an Achilles heel right, which is his chin uh, to a degree. And like Strickland doesn't have that kind of pop. So I think that Cannonier should be able. Um, I mean, he can maybe get him out of here. I could see this being a close decision because Strickland's got the cardio for days. But I think Cannonier uh, wins a pretty wins a pretty grueling uh, battle. Because I just don't think that Strickland contains uh, his kryptonite. Yeah, um, I I tend to agree with you. I think that Strickland standing in front of Cannoneer is going to be the risk factor. Cannoneer hits incredibly hard, especially with Strickland coming off of a knockout loss recently. So it's basically, for the most part, power versus output. And Jared only lost to like championship level fighters. If you look at his record outside of his UFC debut uh, against uh, uh, against Jordan, what was that guy's name? against uh, Sean Jordan, where, you know, where he was knocked out at heavyweight. You know, he lost to Glover Teixeira since then. He lost to Jan Blachowicz. He lost to Dominic Reyes. He lost to Robert Whitaker. And he lost to Israel Adesanya. These are either champions or guys that arguably could have been, like Dominic Reyes could have been champ against John Jones at one point, right? Like, the, the, like a lot of people feel he won that decision. That's the level of competition he's been losing to for the last several years. But if you look at his record in the UFC, it's eight and six, right? Not exactly impressive by any means. Whereas Sean Strickland has been looking good against largely lower-level competition. You know, when he takes that big step up against Kamar Usman, Elizabeth Zaleski Dos Santos, against uh, Alex Pereira, as we saw recently, he doesn't do too well either. I tend to agree with you <clears throat> on that, uh, especially given that Sean Strickland's coming off of a knockout loss. I know he wasn't completely out, but, he, you know, he was hurt pretty badly with that left hook, and Jared Cannonier has similar level of power. I think Sean Strickland standing in front of him for prolonged periods of time is not going to be great for Sean. But at the same time, Sean Strickland's UFC record, 12 and 6. Significantly better, uh, 12 and 4, excuse me, significantly better than the UFC record of Jared Cannonier. So, you know, depending on from which that, you look at it, there's a reason why. I don't know. That doesn't bother me. Like, Strickland fought a lot of mid level guys. Cannonier's losses sure. are champs. Reyes, Blahovich, Whitaker, Adesanya, Teixeira. Like, aside from Sean Jordan when he was at heavyweight, dude isn't lost to somebody who hasn't, like, more or less won the belt. Did you just repeat everything I said like two minutes ago back to me as if you're somehow disagreeing? God damn it. No, not that I'm disagreeing. I'm just saying. No, that, but we're on the same page. I'm there with I you. Mean, I think Sean Strickland's not championship Well, level. you're comparing record. Um, you can't and, compare records like that mm-hmm. and then make the point again. You were you were, you were were wrong. No, but, my, but part of well, my point was I'm favoring Jared Cannonier despite that. But there is some concern to like – Sean Strickland has shown a consistency that Jared has not, despite the fact, I agree, I get it. Jared has fought high-level competition overall. It's just the consistency is a factor here. And coming back from a loss is a factor, whereas, you know, Sean has never lost two fights in a row, whereas uh, Jared Cannonier, I believe, yeah, he lost two fights in a row once against Blahovich and Dominic Reyes, where he fought those two guys uh, twice in a row. <clears throat> Next, I am going to take 
in the matchup between Hafa Garcia and uh, Mahashati. Mahashati, Chinese 23-year-old prospect, has insane power. He's got way more power than a 23-year-old should have. He's got some skills too, but he doesn't have the, the veteran craft and the experience of Hafa Garcia. I think Hafa Garcia is going to put pressure on him. He's going to take him down consistently. And I think he's going to end up walking away with a, with a decisive with, with a increasingly decisive decision here. But if Mahashate can walk away with another knockout here, and if he can like, you know, test more than just a couple of minutes of fight time and actually like get into deeper waters and still look good, then he's a serious prospect to watch. You're with Hafa Garcia. Okay. Yeah, I like Hafa Garcia. There's. Um, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with an underdog pick here. This is insane. I'm gonna go with Bobby Green over Drew Dober. I think that I love Drew Dober, but like Bobby Green is so hard to finish. And I don't. Drew Dober is a fighter who doesn't. He's got a great plan A, but I don't. I haven't really seen him execute plan B uh, very effectively. And I don't. I don't think Bobby Green's gonna go anywhere. Um, and it's not like Drew Dober can do to him what Islam Makhachev did. I think that this is a. T I think that a fighter like Bobby Green is a tough out uh, for Drew. I think it's going to be has fight of the night potential. Um, but I see over over three rounds. I think if he can get through the first round, I could see Bobby Green um, like tur turning this around and Dober lacking an answer. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think Bobby Green's defense's craft should give him the edge, but there is concern about Bobby Green. You know, having those close competitive decisions, he often fights to the level of his opponent, obviously outside of the Islam Makhachev matchup. And I could see him just kind of exchanging with Drew Dober and Drew Dober swinging bigger and looking slightly better for him. The judges giving Drew Dober the edge. But I think you're right. Drew Dober tends to kind of, um, tends to kind of lose energy in the second half of the fight. And that's where Bobby Green's going to be at his strongest. And he's going to put it on even more, especially as he notices Drew Dober potentially getting tired. So I agree with you. I think Bobby Green has some value at plus 130. Yeah, it's up, to, dog, it's, two. it's up to plus 145 in some places. But I guess I'm not, oh, really? I'm not getting the two points for it's this. close. No, no, it's it's close to plus plus one fifty is not far off. Uh, I'm sure if we wait a day or two, it probably will go further in Bobby Green and in, in uh, Drew Dober's direction. Which again, I, I would think the smarts would see Bobby Green's defense and craft here, his jab and keeping Drew Dober at the end of his punches. Um, yeah, I, I would think the smart betters would see that and, and kind of sway the odds the other way. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between. Uh, I guess I'll take. I guess I'll take Sergey Morozov to beat Journey Newsom. I like Journey Newsom a lot. He's actually got a you know boxing background. Um, I believe his his father's a boxer, if I'm not mistaken. He's got really good kicks as he showed in his last fight. But Sergey Morozov, like the, the he looks really good every time for five minutes. But then if he gets hurt at some point in that second or third round, things start to fall apart for him. He's not the most durable guy in the world, but he has faced and beaten high level of competition in the UFC so far than has Journey Newsom. And so I'm going to give it to Sergey Morozov because I don't think Journey Newsom has the power to hurt him in the second half of the fight and really change the tide enough. It should be competitive, uh, but I like Morozov in this one. Cool. And for the, I think this is our last pick, right? I'm going to go with Brian Battle yep. over Renat Makhradinov. Um, Battle's just look like a dude who belongs in the UFC. Yeah, Renat is just like a grinder. Uh, he has serious power, but not much skill standing. He just swings big. Uh, he just kind of holds on to you and holds on to your waist, pushes you against the fence and lays on you. He doesn't do any damage. And I tend to think Brian Battle is going to strike from every position, every moment, and every time. I tend to think the judges are going to favor the damage that he's going to do throughout the fight, maybe even the damage that he does off of his back uh, to pick up a win here. Nikolai, that will do it for this one. Uh, this was fun. Do you have a minute for me to quickly run through our picks, or do you have to get out of here?
It seems like we've lost Nick. I think that he had to go. I'm quickly going to run through our picks, and then we will call it. My first pick was Michal Olejlanchik to beat Cody Brundage. Second, I took Jake Matthews to beat Matthew Semmelsberger. Third pick was Armand Saryukian over Damir Ismagulov. My fourth pick was Julian Marquez to beat Darren Wynn. Fifth, I took Alex Caceres as an underdog to beat Julian Arosa. My sixth pick was Hoffa Garcia to beat Mahashate. And my last pick was Sergei Morozov to beat Journey Newsom. Uh, Nick's first pick was... Corey McKenna as an underdog to beat Cheyenne Velismas. His second pick was David Dvorak as an underdog to beat Manel Kopp. He's taking, taking some swings, trying to catch up, which I respect. His next pick was um, Amir Albazi to beat Alessandro Costa, which, which I thought he maybe missed out on a three-point opportunity. His next pick after that was Saeed Nurmagomedov to beat Saeed Yokub Karkarmanov, which I disagreed with as well. His fifth pick was Jared Kennedy to beat Sean Strickland. We're on the same page there. Sixth pick was Bobby Green to beat Drew Dober. I'm, a green, I'm in agreement with him there as well. And his final pick was Brian Battle to beat Renat Fakhratetanov. Uh, so this is it for the UFC schedule for at least this year. We're not getting any UFC events uh, almost for a month. Um, we're going to see if we're going to do a year-end show. I feel like it's a little bit cliche. Everybody does it, but we try to kind of put our own spin on it. Um, we're going to see if we can kind of get our heads together to, to do a show for you. If there's any major MMA news, maybe we will cover it in the meantime. But looking forward to connecting with all of you. Thank you so much for the listen. And uh, please do leave us a review. It means a lot. It helps us with the algorithm, among other things. Thank you so much. Uh-huh.